Welcome back to A Time to Think. The clock was broken for a few weeks. We yeah, were, there was no time to think. No, it's, uh, we had to get some new batteries mm-hmm. for that old clock that was on it the wall. It was daylight saving time ending, so. That just threw us for a three-week loop, yeah, huh? three weeks. We were very confused. Uh, we had a chance, to, Chris and I, to go to a preaching conference, and then, yeah, just things got in the way, and trying to make a podcast that's helpful to the church, but also doesn't drain us at the same yeah. time. So yeah. if we're ever gone for three three weeks, it's probably just, oops, we couldn't make it work, and we'll get back at it when we get we back We did it again. It. Oops. We did. Yes. Okay, anyways. When are you just going to start doing the intro music for us? <laughs> You're a musician. I mean, you used to tour, so you could sing Britney uh, for us. Yeah, I didn't tour with Britney, but um, yeah. Well, anyways, Josh. Well, it is a time to think. <laughs> uh, we have started a podcast years ago because we had a conviction that we lived in an unthinking culture that reacted too quickly, too passionately, and too ignorantly. Because when you react quickly and passionately, often ignorance is the cause and the byproduct. Mm. And so we said, how do we have a slower reaction, more dispassionate, not not as in we are stoics, we don't believe in emotion, but we've, we, we try to think, uh, if you remember after the Asbury Revival, we didn't do a podcast for like a month. Yeah. Just, okay, let's remove ourselves a little bit because we can think clearly when we're not in the middle of the hullabaloo. Mm-hmm. So how can we have a slower reaction, uh, more dispassionate, thoughtful, careful engagement mm-hmm. with issues in the culture and the church? Um, it's been super formative for me even to have these podcasts because yeah. uh, as this airs, it'll be Tuesday. So two days ago, I preached on Revelation 13, talking about the spirit of the second beast who looks like a lamb uh, but speaks like a dragon. And I was able to draw on some of the things we had talked about in the podcast yeah. to say, okay, how, how did we think through the pride movement type mm-hmm. things? And um, so I pray that it's been as helpful for you as it is for Chris and I. Um, and, and I pray this next series would be helpful for all of us as we seek to learn how we learn, essentially. Josh, would you say we've been trying to disciple people through the podcast the past couple of years? We have. You know, there's this, this great commandment that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our... Mm, I don't know if there's anything else, Josh. It's in between your ears. Eyebrows. Love the Lord our God with all our minds, minds yeah. right? So that's the, the idea of this podcast is we we use our minds so that we can love the Lord more fully with all that we are. And so, yeah, this has been a great uh, effort of ours to, to find some time outside of the Sunday service to disciple people. Yep. Um, and that's what we're talking about now is discipleship. I think more narrowly in the coming weeks, it'll be about the types of things we've been discipled to believe that maybe we just think are normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but we want to start more broadly and just say, what is discipleship? How are we discipled? What are the dangers of being discipled wrongly? Yeah. So that's this first podcast, because before we get to the nitty gritty, we want to talk a little bit of overview, because I think if you're a Christian and have been for any number of years, you walk into downtown Mission Church Wausau and you see creating a disciple making community. You're like, what is a disciple? I hear people talk about discipleship. What is that? Um, and so, Christian, cr- Christian, yeah, <laughs> Christian, yes. Uh, if you had to define discipleship on the spot, mm-hmm. hypothetically, right now, how would you define yeah. it? I mean, I would say discipleship is the uh, process um, of learning. So that's just a broad definition. 
um, because the, the word disciple just literally comes from a Greek term that means learner, one who's been taught. And so um, a disciple, you know, everybody's a disciple of something or someone. Everybody's learning something uh, or learning from someone. And so, you know, narrowly speaking, we talk in, in Christian circles about discipleship uh, as one's relationship to Jesus and that process of growing to be like him and living that out uh, in the world that God has given us to live in. But broadly speaking, and I think that's what we're trying to do here that to, you know, today, is to help people understand that discipleship is really the process of, of learning and how that learning shapes you as a person. Okay, so um, is there anyone who's not learning? <laughs> well, I don't. I didn't mean the, to think gonna, about particular yeah, people in your life. <laughs> I could give some names, but uh, essentially, uh, can we be static? No, we can't. Or even if we seem like we're not learning, are we right. still learning? Yeah, we're always learning. We're always learning, and um, I think one of the the big um, it's kind of like people who say things things like, "I don't believe in theology or doctrine. I just believe in the Bible." It's like, well you're revealing some of your theology right there, right? And so people can say things, well, I'm not really, um, I'm not really into discipleship. It's like, well, but you are. Um, it's just, it's a matter of what does it look like? What are you being shaped by? And how is it forming how you view the world? Okay, so there's, there's the learning component. Um, there's the fact that we're all learners. Uh, I was reading a book by J.I. Packer about catechism recently, <laughs> and he talks about explicit teaching, because... Just like mm-hmm. you said, discipleship means to learn. Catechism essentially means to, to teach. teach. Uh, and he said there's explicit teaching, there's implicit teaching, and then I forget what the other is it, if there was another is it, but it was essentially the stuff you leave out. Sure. And he said you're taught by all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're taught by the explicit teaching of here's what I'm, the words I'm telling you and the content I'm giving you. Yep. You're taught by the implicit teaching, which has to do with the environments that you're mm-hmm. in. Um, are you only taught in formal spaces mm-hmm. or also in informal spaces? Yep. Are you only taught by professional expert people with titles? Or are you also taught by family members, mm-hmm. brothers, people in the home? Yep. Um, and then there's, there's also the things you are not taught whether it's because the teacher has intentionally not taught them. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you if you go through a decade at a church and you have never heard about hell, mm-hmm. that's probably intentional. Right. Right? And so um, you, you try to think, okay, what, are the, what am I not being taught? Is that obliviousness or malice? Mm-hmm. And so there, there's, even with what's being taught, there's three different categories yeah. there, which, uh, which leads us to think discipleship is not just... If someone has told us, I would like to disciple you, mm-hmm. and you're going to be a disciple, that learning is not only relegated to that right. space. Right. Yeah. Um, could you give me maybe some examples of the difference between formal and informal discipleship? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think when I learned um, the, the ministry of discipleship when I was a college student, um, a lot of it was done formally, and a lot of it was done informally. I mean, it was a good mixture of it. And and so the formal aspect of it was, you know, sitting down um, and and just doing Bible study together, right? Doing that, uh, we have these little books uh, in campus ministry called Transferable Concepts, where it just covered basic things of the Christian life that, you know, an older Christian would take a younger Christian through and kind of get them established in it. And, you know, that was that was very explicit instruction, you know, it was, was teaching the most proper sense. But then there was also the informal, and that's what I benefited from, I would say, probably the most at that time in my life. 
because it was just being around other Christian people and learning what it looked like to follow Christ. I mean, that was at that stage of my life, a very young Christian. It mattered so much to me because you can read a book on your own, right? But you can't catch the Christian life on your own. You can't do that. So um, informal teaching is the type of teaching that I think uh, shapes you um, more, I'll say this, maybe I'll qualify a little bit in a little while, but uh, I think informal teaching has the potential to shape you even more profoundly than, than formal teaching does because the formal teaching is something that people argue with, but informal teaching is stuff that, that kind of just behind the scenes subconsciously is shaping you don't even realize it. So, so yeah. there's a... Maybe the defenses have dropped in the informal category? Yeah, because there's a degree of trust that I think is, is communicated to the other party when you're willing to spend time with them. Um, but when it comes to explicit instruction, uh, you know, people, as, as pastors, we deal with people who don't necessarily like the things that we have to say to them, right? So uh, people feel a certain degree of... You're talking of, about my wife? Um, yes, yes. She, Love you. She's expressed great concern over the content uh, that uh, you, you bring home. I had her, a but. dear woman in the church say she was walking with my wife, and she was like, your wife said you're the best preacher in Wisconsin. And I said, I wow. know for certain she did not say that. She did that. not say that. <laughs> I said, my wife is very encouraging. She loves me. I know for certain she did not say that. Oh, yes. Oh, it was funny. Oh, but, yeah. So the formal you're, or the informal you're saying has a, maybe a greater, and you've been using the word shape. So yep. that's, that's something I want to maybe play with a little bit. Is Playing with shapes is for like four-year-olds. I Josh, did that with so. Thomas this did morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wanted me to play with him, so I made the game. Like, if i got to put these blocks in these yep. holes, I'm going to see if I can do it as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I won. So. Did you humiliate your son? No, but he did try to do it as fast as possible, and that was pretty cute. <laughs> um, so you're using the word shape, which means there's a fuller, there's a fuller definition. Discipleship is not less than information, but it's more than changing your thoughts or positions Correct. on something. Correct. So talk more about the idea of shaping or what shaping has to do with learning. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the Bible verse that, that comes to mind for me when, when we think about this issue is Romans 12, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's a biblical precedent that's very clear. And, and you, you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you hear God saying to the people, hey, keep this word of mine in front of you all the time, all the time. Talk about it, think about it, pray about it, sleep, eat, everything, you mm-hmm. know, with the, the Bible in front of you. So when the instruction comes to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, as Paul has expressed, you know, such rich gospel truth for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means that God has, has, he's instituted a way by which change occurs in the human soul. And that occurs primarily as the mind is engaged and as, you know, you, you change how you think about things. Um, you know, the word repent is not necessarily a word that, that reflects um, immediate change of action, but it does reflect an immediate change of mind. And so to repent means you're rethinking something. And so really, the, if the, the Christian life is marked by repentance, that means that we are regularly rethinking how we process certain things. Uh, we're rethinking our relationship to sin. We're rethinking these things in a way that says, I need God to reshape and reform me as a human being. And the way that's going to happen is as the word of God bears fruit in my soul, um, I'm, I'm going to be transformed. So, 
Yeah, I, maybe what's helpful here is is to get away from modern conceptions of the difference between mind and heart, as, sure. if, as if they are opposed to one another rather than right. in- integrated. Mm-hmm. So I, I think when we're thinking about the relationship between formal learning processes, like maybe listening to a sermon or engaged in uh, a Bible study. Now, the Bible study, you could have a formal teaching process in an informal environment, yeah. right? You could be doing the Bible study in someone's home. Yep. And so you, you can mix Or just these... come into Stephen's point for corporate worship. Yeah. What so... do you mean? The informal? <laughs> the, yeah, the very informal <laughs> environment, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're pretty casual here, uh, but I have been told that I am a little structured, so maybe we're a little <laughs> more formal up here. But... So you can mix formal and informal, but but we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't pit mind and heart against one another right. specifically because the Lord Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with our mind and our heart, yeah. and so I think we can we can think in terms that are unhelpful when we start to talk about uh, head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Right. Right. Not not that we don't want all knowledge to be in totality involving the head and the heart and mm-hmm. the hands, as you've right. maybe heard before. Head or hands. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like the love-truth dynamic, where it's right. like truth without love is not truth, but love without truth is not love. Mm-hmm. You say like, well, knowledge without your head is not knowledge. So you can't properly have heart knowledge right. of the Lord unless you have... An understanding of who he is. Yeah, exactly. How do you how do you with your heart love the triune God mm-hmm. without knowing who he that is? The Father is God, <laughs> right. the Son is God. So you need knowledge there. Yeah. Um, but you also can't properly know God with your mind if that knowledge does not lead you to love Him. Correct. Uh, if that there's something broken, there's a wire that is mm-hmm. not connected properly. If your knowledge that God is three in one does not mm-hmm. cause you to worship, yeah, right. Maybe that's the soul component, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. We don't have to get too nitty gritty into what's the soul versus what the strength, but the, the purpose is when when Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength," He's saying, "Love the Lord your God with the totality of all that you are working together yep. in the same direction." Yep. And so, discipleship is necessarily going to to be a totality process. Yes. It's going to require formal and informal mm-hmm. because we are total beings. We're not yeah. just heads on a stick or <laughs> passions that just get to go where they are. Yeah. Any reflections about the totality of discipleship and the need for all of those things? Yeah, I mean, the whole of the Christian life is to be lived quorum Deo, right? In the face of God, we're supposed to live the Christian life as though God is present with us all the time because he indeed is. And uh, when Jesus says, be, you know, behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, it isn't just some type of a comforting promise. It's a, I'm going to be with you. And so if discipleship is something that's it's really, as we define it more narrowly in Christian terms, to say it's how the scriptures inform your life as a Christian, whether formally through instruction or informally through it being lived. Um, yeah, I just, I think it's important. We see that it is a whole life process. Repentance is a whole life thing. You don't just repent of not going to church on Sundays, but living life completely differently, you know, or leaving, living life the same uh, as you have been living before when it comes to your sexuality, right? There are just different things like this that, that occur in, in people's minds. There's a break, typically, uh, I would call it a break, where somebody just kind of does not take seriously the fact that when Jesus says, if you don't leave everything you have and follow me, you can't be my disciple. So it's a whole life thing. Uh, discipleship is a whole life experience. And so that being said, our process of being discipled means it's going to extend all of life and, and must be viewed in all the different settings that we live in. So, 
how do we ensure that the formal and the informal are working in the same direction? Because I would imagine sure. that people have been, you know, think about the fundamentalist Baptist right. critique of, okay, the formal and the informal were not working in the same direction. Right. Someone told me about the grace or the mercy from the pulpit, mm -hmm. but I saw no grace sure. and mercy, right? Um, what, what do you do to ensure that formal and informal are working in the same direction so you don't get this disorientation in yeah. how you're teaching someone? And, and then ultimately, you don't get someone that's turned off by the idea of mm. being taught because they see these two things are not working together. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it is important. I, I've, I've, I've had this conversation before um, with somebody who um, you know, had some different standards of... Uh, I guess, convictions regarding media intake and so forth that spoke to me and said they had a hard time um, receiving instruction from me because of the difference in conviction. Now, um, this was a, these are people who love the Lord, but they had, I would say, very different views on media consumption and, and so forth that um, I, th I think, you know, the convictions I have, generally speaking, are, are, not, uh, are not out of bounds, right? So some people may have a certain view of things that says, well, um, unless you're fitting these very specific standards, I'm not going to listen to you. So taking that outlier uh, you know, aside and just saying, well, we recognize that some people are just going to have very strong convictions in, in a certain direction that are just not going to match up. Um, I think that, that the informal provides the environment for somebody to see, is the formal instruction making a difference in their life? Okay. Is the formal instruction actually informing how they live? And and, you know, this is something that I try to be honest about, uh, even as a preacher, is when I get up and talk about worry, is to tell people, I don't have this together. <laughs> like, and, and it's not to say that it can't be together, but it is to say, you know, you, you don't ever want to have explicit instruction coming out of your mouth that you just directly undermine and then make excuses for. Um, instead, the informal environment is a place for you uh, to own the fact that you're not what you want to be. Right? And so as, as we think through Christian discipleship, we think about what it is to learn to follow Jesus, the disciples were pretty hard-headed. <laughs> the disciples mm -hmm. walked with Jesus for a few years straight, and, and they were in informal and formal environments. And Jesus taught formally all the time, but he also taught informally. And that informality, that, that's what provided, I think, uh, the, the grounds for people to say, I love you, Lord. You know, to actually look at the Lord and say, I love you. Because he's not just a, a deposit of information to be drawn from. He is the Lord. He is personal. So. What examples do you think stick out of the... Because I think of all the formal teaching, right? Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. uh, you might even... I don't know. Would you would you classify the upper room discourse, the high priest of the pair? Is that formal or informal, do you think? Is it both? I would say it's both. Because he's, he's giving both. a long speech, right. but it's over dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there are aspects of it that we would consider informal, just in terms of the um, things like the, the foot washing uh, ceremony that he performs on the disciples. I think there's formality. He says, you know, that I, I'm, I'm teaching you to do something. So, I mean, he's saying, yeah, I'm, this is something that you ought to do. Uh, it's clear instruction, but it's also informal in as much as it occupies a place of relationship and it occupies a place of action that um, you have to inform with meaning, right? So you can tell somebody, God chose his people before the foundations of the world, and you don't need to actually put action to that except to look at your own experience and say, if I'm a Christian, it's because God chose me before the foundation of the world. But when you think about uh, the foot washing that Jesus is doing with the disciples, you have to inform that, right? That has to be informed. But at this, you know, by the same token, if Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to show you how much I love you 
by telling you how much I love you, you're missing the point of what Jesus is doing there. He's saying, I'm going to show you how much I love you by doing something, by acting mm-hmm. something out for you to see significance. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, there, there is a, a deep informational process that, that goes on as Jesus is, is interacting with the disciples that, you know, he's always, speech is, is important. Speech always needs to condition our reception of certain things, but um, his, his actions regularly spoke to the think disciples. Of, think about him teaching publicly the Pharisees in the beginning of Mark um, that he has not come for the righteous, yes, but for sinners. Yep. And then he informally acts that out over dinner. Yes, exactly. Okay, and and those are things that kind of in in the course of what the gospel authors are trying to do get skimmed over. But mm-hmm. usually dinners for me are at least an hour. So think about like each sure. time there's mention of dinner, it could be three hours. Jesus is with these people, and there's oh yeah an informal component where he has taught publicly that. Um, that God has come into the world to save sinners, mm-hmm. and then he eats with them. Does it? Yeah. You know, and, and so there's the formal and the informal, and so um, so we're talking about discipleship. Um, we're going to ultimately get to the dangers of being discipled wrongly, but just mm-hmm. first talking about how we learn anything at all. Uh, there's the formal teaching component where we know, hey, someone is trying to convince us of something, yeah. someone's trying to transmit information. There's the informal, which I think Chris has done a good job of describing, a lot of uh, relational contact, the ways yeah. that you catch, uh, you know, the some things in Christianity are better caught than taught. Oh, is, uh, is you just come phrase. up with that now, Josh? I did not. <laughs> uh, I caught it. Oh, and but you weren't taught it. No, I did not listen when I was formally taught because I'm stubborn. So, so there's the formal teaching. There's At least the, you bought it. <laughs> the informal teaching, and then... Um, I, I guess a cu- question I have in my, my head, Chris, is thinking, okay, we've got clear formal teaching mm-hmm. like a Sunday sermon or maybe a um, – but how would you put a time to think in all that? Is this formal teaching? Yeah. Is this oh, informal teaching? Is absolutely. This... Yeah, it's, it's formal teaching in an informal context. I mean, if you look at things like the parables, Jesus is formally teaching people, but he's also formally teaching them in a way that's very relatable and is story-based. You know, So we can't – necessarily look at formal teaching as, as always just outright didactic, you know, here's a dialogue, basically, the, the, the author is saying things to you, expecting you to respond by answering rhetorical questions, but, you know, internally, those types of things. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, the mark of formal instruction. Um, I do think formal instruction has different venues, but, um, yeah. Okay. So what we're, uh, there's more overlap here. Sure. S- similar to the mind-heart dynamic. Yep. There's more overlap to formal and informal because if someone is formally teaching you, their body is present. Like there, yeah. there's uh, you think of logos, uh, ethos, and pathos mm-hmm. that were the the hallmark triad of delivering yeah. information. You have logos being the logic of something, you have ethos being the ethic of the person that mm-hmm. is speaking, and then pathos being the emotional engagement. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's undeniable that there's some sort of ethic behind every speaker and. If you have any sort of relational, informal contact with that speaker, then you're going to know their ethic mm-hmm. to a degree. But then even as the preacher, we have to know it really matters. There's a reason elders are supposed to be above reproach, because sure. the ethic of the teacher matters. Yep. Um, and the pathos, are, are you as a as a pastor, shepherd, or as a teacher of some sort, are you emotionally engaged with the person you're speaking right. to? All those things come to bear in that overlap of formal yeah. and informal. Um 
I guess I'm interested, Chris, because we're in an age of content. And I want to talk on the next episode about digital media and yeah. even just the, the is, we just call it content. Content. It, it's not. People are content creators now. Yeah, it's not, they're not um, biographers or documentarians. They're or, just putting videos out. They're just content yep. creators. It's just, it's this Im- amorphous consumption <laughs> word, right? Yeah. So we're in an age of content. Um, and I tend to think when I turn on content, I just want to listen to something. Mm-hmm. How often am I really being taught something when I just think I'm entertaining myself? Mm-hmm. That's my question. What do you think? I think we should talk about it in another episode because that's a loaded question, Josh. Oh, no. We can talk about the specifics in another episode, okay. but I'm, just, I'm thinking on a day-to-day basis, yeah. what's the percentage of my day that I'm being taught something? Is it 100%? Is it 90%? Because I'm always around people, right? Or I'm yeah. listening to something. Yeah. Am I always being taught? I think anytime, I mean, without trying to sound overly uh, spiritual about this, anytime, anytime you're around other people, you're being taught, right? I mean, so... If if I'm spending time with you, I mean, you know, we went to uh, went to to Appleton the other week and had our preaching conference and um, sat there watched uh, the Titans lose the Steelers. Oh, right. Man. Now, as I I'm sitting there with you, to stop watching the Titans <laughs> is what I was taught. But you know, as I'm sitting to you there, you know, we're talking about stuff, and and you know, I don't really follow the AFC too closely, so I'm I'm hearing from you certain things about uh, you know the Titans' offensive line and the issues they've had and so forth. I'm like, okay. That makes sense, right? So I'm learning. I'm learning okay. things. And, uh, again, it, it's just a matter of what is the content. What is the content? But you're always learning. You're always picking things up from people. Yeah. Okay. Um, how – but maybe this is the question I'll ask before asking how on guard yeah. we should be then. Okay, if we are always learning, mm-hmm. um, but maybe we assume we're not sometimes. Like yeah. I, I don't assume that watching that football game I'm learning, or maybe I don't assume the podcast I'm listening to I'm learning. Yeah. Um, but I am always learning. What are the disciple the, the disciples? What was that? <laughs> what are the dangers of being? I, I like to eat 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 apples and bananas. Apples and bananas. Yeah. Came out. What are the dangers of being discipled incorrectly? Mm-hmm. What, uh, yeah. So what if we're always learning? Um, if we are learners, if we learn with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we learn in informal and formal capacities, yeah. we learn from other people, what are the dangers of that process going awry and us learning in the wrong direction oh, yeah. or learning incorrectly? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at two different, um, you know, angles of this. Uh, first angle is going to be your formal instruction. If you're being discipled improperly, formally, you're going to be holding views that are untrue. Right, because okay. discipleship is concerned with truth. And so if, if you are learning things that are not true, you are holding those fast and regurgitating those things, that's a problem. Right? And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to color how you view the world, and it's going to color how you encourage other people to view the world. So that's the first danger, I think, is the formal capacity. The second danger, though, with the informal capacity is that um, th- this is probably similar in some respects to, you know, you think a child that grows up in a home, in a home where there's, um, great marital conflict, a divorce occurs, and they, they, they come to the conclusion at a formative age that the relationship between a husband and wife is uh, dissolvable. You can just dissolve it because, mm-hmm. oh, somebody's not happy, right? Or perhaps somebody picks up from it 
you know, the kind of the classic thing a lot of children deal with who are children of, of divorced parents. It's like, well, it's my fault. I must have done something. Mm-hmm. And before I came around, mommy and daddy were happy. You know, so yeah. you're informally picking these things up, and you see this in the lives of children all the time. As children get older, they're reflecting. You know, you hear people say, like, oh, well, he's his father's son, or she's, her, you know, her mother's daughter, that type of a thing. Um, in most circumstances, you're not talking about people who sat down one day and their dad taught them everything they knew, that he knew or the mom taught daughter everything she knew. But they're, they're showing it with that statement that children will reflect ultimately the environment in which you were raised. I mean, you, you got to meet uh, yeah, Mon Pa Tillman last week. And uh, you, you sat down uh, and right away, what, what did my mom ask if you wanted Cookies. Cookies, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you got a you little peek into how, you know, the home that I grew up in mm-hmm. and what it is that, you know, when you think about how does how does Chris tick and, and what is it about, uh, you know, the fact that I'm a very relational person? Mm-hmm. Well, you, you hang out with my parents for 15 Warm, minutes. Warm, joyful household, eager to welcome visitors. Right. right. So, you know, that's picked up informally. My parents didn't need to teach me to do sure. that. It just got picked up. Yeah. So you have... Um... You mentioned the parent-child relationship. That means that all of us are going to be informally discipled in significant ways. Yeah. And in a world this side of the fall and this side of glory. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> we're past the fall, but we're not yet to glory. Yeah. Those parenting relationships, at, as good as they can be, are, are still going to leave some wounds in yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, ideally, the parents in their faithfulness and their love for us are going to disciple us in the right direction. But the, the reality for many of us is whether it's through broken marriage or uh, unfaithful parenting, we, we leave with incredibly large informal scars that mm-hmm. uh, in the Lord's grace, he can heal to some degree, undo to some degree, yeah. retrain to some degree in the church, but it does take a long time. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes the, the trust issues we have with other people, the insecurities we have with other people... Start mirroring uh, in the church. Yeah. They well, they uh, you see them in the church, but they started in childhood. Yeah. Or you told me something years ago. You said you, we, we never grow out of being middle school boys. Sure. Because yeah. the same types of things we're insecure with when we grow up is that we tend to carry those through mm-hmm. our lives, and those can be caused in childhood. So something for yeah. us to know is many of us are informally discipled poorly, mm-hmm. and it wasn't our fault. Sure. Um, what is up to us though is the the future and further relationships we mm. invest in that can informally disciple us to the glory of God, yeah. informally disciple us into Christ likeness. So uh, there's that. Um, I think, yeah, so when we talk about the dangers of being discipled incorrectly, you said, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to believe wrong things if you're discipled formally incorrectly. Um, and so you're going to live wrong ways if you're discipled informally and properly. And that live and that belief go together. Yeah. You know, the, the Hebrew understanding of wisdom is not just intellectual. Yep. You can talk about wisdom that causes you to walk in the right paths. Yep. So the Hebrew understanding of, of wisdom grounded, uh, you know, Jesus' understanding of wisdom is, is that live and that belief go in the same mm-hmm. direction. Um, so we have to choose our teachers carefully. Yeah. If we're going to be formally taught well, we have to choose our teachers mm-hmm carefully. And if we're going to be informally taught well, we should take great care to think what types of people am I around? Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm not around the, the types of people that I want to learn from, or I'm not at least a certain degree on guard when I'm around the types of people I don't want to learn mm-hmm. from, there's a reason the scriptures have the idea that bad company corrupts good morals. Yep, because informal discipleship can be corrupting mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side of that is informal discipleship can be incredibly life-giving yeah. if you can undo the corruption mm-hmm. that you've experienced in the mm-hmm. past. 
Uh, any other thoughts on dangers of being, um, what is the danger maybe of thinking you're not being discipled? You're just, you're an American, you're an individual, <laughs> yeah. you're a free thinker. Even. Free, oh yeah, of course. You of think course. for yourself, you don't get, all those other institutions, they don't come to bear right. on you. you. You really have a clear eye on things. Yeah, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And I think that's really what it boils down to, is there, there is great hubris and arrogance and pride ex- expressed in somebody who is willing to say something to that effect. You know, it's, it's just like the people saying, you know, I don't worship anything. I'm atheistic or irreligious or, you know, whatever. They want to, cl- you know, classify themselves in a category where they believe they're above a particular type of thing. And the reality is everybody's worshiping something. You're always putting worth on something. And now whether you, you view that as deity directly or not, you're still putting worth, ultimate worth on something, right? And so it, there's just arrogance in that. And for the Christian, it's easy to look at the unbeliever and say, well, there's arrogance in a Richard Dawkins who says that he doesn't worship anything. You know, well, of, of course, you certainly worship something, Richard. Well, I would say to many Christians, that the sad reality is, especially in Western Christianity and post-COVID, people view their Christian experience as one in which discipleship is something that they just... They can enter into on their terms whenever they feel like it, where they can, you know, turn a sermon on and say, well, I may not be attending a, a church regularly, and I may not be spending time around Christian people regularly, but uh, as long as I know that I'm watching this sermon, that kind of a thing, it's like, let's hold, hold your horses here, fellow, because just like you wouldn't fault Richard Dawkins for being somebody who is a worshiper without acknowledging it, so you are being discipled. You're not, and, and, and the thing is, we're not discipling ourselves. When you hit play on a sermon, you're being discipled by somebody else. You know, you made a decision to click play or something, but you're getting content. And if that is disembodied content, that's incredibly dangerous because mm-hmm. you're going to learn a lot of things. And if you're not putting it into practice or not watching that put into practice, you're, you're going to be very overbalanced. It's like training one arm. It's like doing curls on your right arm for 15 years, your left arm, you're not doing anything. might have a huge right arm, but your left arm's worthless. And uh, we, we want to avoid, as Christian people, the arrogance of believing somehow we're not being discipled. Like, you always are, which is why you want to immerse yourself in the local church. Because the local church is the place where you have God's authority structure, or you have God's design, you have God's word being prized, and everybody's on the same page together. Yeah, I think there's the, another angle to pride goes before the fall, and it's um, something I've tried to learn personally, is I'm never going to get there um, in this life, there yep. being, I'm never going to know enough. And I'm, I'm currently in a stage of life where I'm, I'm reading voraciously. I just got my all the spot books, Dick and Jane. I am reading uh, where's Waldo? children's books too, <laughs> but I, I just got my stack of 30 something books for my winter semester. Mm. And, and, um, it's super easy for me to think if I can just finish this semester, yeah. But then another semester is going to come. And and you know what? Doggone footnotes. Keep footnoting other books that I've never <laughs> read, right? Uh, and I'm going to go through an Isaiah to Malachi class, and I'm going to get just a taste of 15 different books of the Bible and go, mm. oh, my gosh, if I could just know everything about this book of the Bible. Yeah. And, and that's a personal temptation for me is if I could just hit this mark of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that the Lord graciously whispered something into my ear uh, a few weeks ago and just You'll never know enough to be God. Mm-hmm. Um, God has not made humanity to achieve a level of knowledge that they will then be done right. this side of glory with yep. learning. 
And I think that's important for us to remember because arrogance is a modern trait. It's not, we didn't come up with it, but you know, C.S. Lewis has the idea of chronological snobbery mm. where we think somehow we are smarter. So because we have uh, fighter jets, we're smarter than the Wright brothers yeah. who got the wheels off the ground in the first place. Right. And because the Wright brothers got the wheels off the ground, they think they're smarter than the caveman. They're the wrong brothers. Yeah. Who made the wheel, right? right? And, and so we, we tend to think like, Clearly, everyone in the past is much dumber than we are, yep. and and that can lend us toward uh, an inhuman or an inhumane view of humanity yep. in which we've achieved, we've arrived. Yep. Um, but one of the beautiful things about the book of Proverbs is starts off with this passage. Uh, the, the goal of this book is to res- receive instruction, to receive insight, but it doesn't just say that the stupid people should receive insight. <laughs> It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Yeah. And that's actually a great encouragement for me is that God has actually written his words so even the wise can increase in learning. Yep. Uh, the, even the wise need to increase in learning. And you talk to parents and they needed, they needed to increase in learning when they had toddlers. Mm-hmm. And then they needed to increase in learning when they had teenagers. And then they needed yep. to increase in learning when they had kids out of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's always this new stage of life yeah. that we have to increase in learning in. And would you say it's wise to acknowledge that you need to grow in wisdom? Yeah, and because that it's foolish to say that you don't. Yes, that would be the message of <laughs> Proverbs, and I think it's just a it's a fundamental vision of humanity. Um, are we uh, are we primarily receivers of something? Mm-hmm. Or are we primarily, I'll say, discoverers in the sense of, uh, like, we're Magellan. We're right. going to... I think scriptures put forth the idea that humans are primarily receivers. We receive yeah. God's world from him. We receive, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you then did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? Yeah. Uh, but really what we do in the modern day is we boast as if we have all these things, not because we received them, but because we made them. Yep. We, we got them on our own. Hmm. Uh, but fundamental to a vision of true humanity is to say, hey, I receive every heartbeat from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not anything I'm doing right now to keep my heart beating. Yeah. I actually don't really know how the heart works all that well, <laughs> a ba- beside a basic high school level of mm-hmm. biology. There's nothing I'm currently doing to keep my lungs in motion. Mm. There's nothing I'm, you know, all these things that are out of my control. I'm fundamentally the receiver of a body, the receiver of a mind, the receiver of a world, the receiver of knowledge the receiver of the revelation of the gospel, the mysteries yeah. of Christ, all that I have, I've received. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even one thing a person can receive unless it comes down to him from heaven, mm-hmm. John the Baptist says. And if we can really capture that, not even one thing I have unless I've received it, then we start to realize my whole life is going to be a life of reception. Well, when that, when that comes to bear on discipleship, it's my whole life is going to be a life of learning. My whole life is going to be a life of continuing to turn to Isaiah, maybe mm-hmm. for the 15th time and saying, I'm still receiving from this book. Maybe it's depth this time rather than breadth. Mm-hmm. I've received the breadth, but now I'm receiving the depth. Maybe it is a new insight. Maybe it is uh, how to apply these truths into the modern day. Mm-hmm. But I'm always going to be learning. Yeah. And with other people, I'm always going to be learning because God has his image mm-hmm. and he's made us in his image, but yeah. he's not made me totally, like right. I'm the only representative perfectly of his image. Yeah. I learned from Chris as a different type of image bearer who was informally discipled by his parents. And as, mm-hmm. as I'm around, uh, you know, as we deal with stuff as an, as an elder board, I'm regularly reminded that my other brothers on the board, 
express God's justice more than I do. Mm. Like I see how other people are quicker to be angry at injustice than mm-hmm. I am. And there are times where I'm like, why are you guys so mad? Get over <laughs> it. There are other times where I'm like, why am I not mad right mm. now? I see that, that yeah. they are expressing the righteous anger of our God in this situation mm-hmm. against sin and against unrighteousness. Yeah. But I don't get there easily on my sure. own. And so I have to be discipled by others informally mm-hmm. to receive that part of the character yep. of God. So I'm always going to be being remade. And that's how the scriptures say that we're you know, both in, uh, in seeing Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.18, I think we're transformed one degree of glory mm-hmm. to the next. We see him, we're transformed. As we renew our minds, Romans 12, we're transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, as we are in the body together, yep. we learn and we grow and so all of these avenues are saying your whole life, as you said really helpfully earlier, your whole life is a life of discipleship. Your whole life is a life of learning. And then ultimately our whole life is a life of learning and growing unto the image of mm-hmm. God uh, to, to look more and more like Christ until we do reach that day where knowledge is no longer in part, but is in full because mm-hmm. we see Christ face to face. Um, what is hopeful, Chris? What is hopeful and helpful about the Christian understanding that their whole life is a life of learning? Well, it means, first of all, you don't need to act as though you should have everything down pat. And I, I say this like I'm a fairly intelligent individual and I love Jeopardy. I'll, I'll sit there and watch Jeopardy with my kids for a long time. And I tend to get a lot of questions right. Mm-hmm. But what I tell my kids about it when, you know, we, we talk about, oh, why do you, how do you get all these things right? It's like, because I begin with a premise that if I don't know something that I need to learn it. And, and that, that's not an arrogant statement. It's a statement of saying, I'm acknowledging I may not know something, right? And that, like, that's where you have to start. You have to start in a place of acknowledging you don't know something. And there is freedom in that. There's freedom with saying, yeah. I don't know it, but I can learn it. And I think to acknowledge that the Christian life is the life of disciples would say, yeah, I, I, I don't get everything. You know, I, when, when I think about when my Christian life really started, you know, 24 years ago, 23 years ago, um, I didn't know anywhere close to what I know now. And, and if I would have been put in a position by other people to believe that I should know those things, I would have been crushed absolutely crushed man it's taken 23 24 years Mm -hmm. to learn the things i know now and there's freedom in knowing that you you can just say this is a process and i want to learn stuff i need to grow i i need to change the christian life is one of constant change not because god changes but because god is constant we change around him so as we rethink as we repent as as we re-examine our lives it frees us up to not have to be so defensive of our own place and position and say, you know what? Yep. Um, guess I've just didn't, didn't quite get this right. And so I need to change. And God gives me the grace and the freedom to live that way. And so I think there's just great freedom that way. It seems like you spoke about two different things there. One is the, I don't know knowledge jeopardy type thing. But the other one is I need to grow in behavior. Right. Once again, action, live, belief are not separate. And, and oftentimes we, we might misstep behaviorally because we don't know. Yeah. You know, maybe we yeah. come down too hard on someone because we didn't have all the information. Yep. And we have to come back and say, hey, I actually have to really grow here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It's, 
it's helpful to start at the outset saying I will not be um, I will not be what I am. Oh, this, what am I saying here? Um, I am I, not what I want to be. Yes. But I'm not what I once was. And I will be what I want to be one day. Yeah. That's why we have the, the great hopes of he who began a good work in you will complete it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or First uh, Thessalonians 5, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. He will completely. surely do it. He will surely do it, yeah. right? So the hope of the Christian is not, is not only um, I am not there yet and my life is going to be a life of growing, but I will be there one day mm-hmm. by the grace and mercy of Christ. Yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think that's good um, as far as the hope and help of being a constant learner is... Like I said, I can fall victim to thinking if I could just figure this one thing out, I'd be okay. I wouldn't have any more problems. I'd be past this. I'd be able to argue someone else down. Mm -hmm. And and I'm never going to be done reading. (laughs) Right. I'm never going to be done uh, being around other people and needing them to shape me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, one thing I had written down to talk about is the difference between information and observation. Uh, There will Mm -hmm. always be more information I can intake Mm -hmm. and process and there will always be more observation I can do. Yep. Um, and there will be different life stages. You know, you go in, you go in stages where you need to intake a lot of information, mm-hmm. but we're not just machines. We, we are meditating creatures. Sure. There's a reason that the word that the Bible quite often uses about what we should do with the Bible is, is not inhale. It's meditate on it. <laughs> it's meditate. Yeah. And so there are times and seasons for different things. You know, you... You, maybe you go through a tear of like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year and I'm going to just inhale yep. and get as much as possible. And then you go through, I'm going to read the Psalms this year mm-hmm. and chew and process and meditate. And in both ways, you're learning. Yep. One, you might be learning copious amounts of information and getting broad sweeps of, of the Bible. And the other, you might be chewing on fine details and mm-hmm. savoring them. Um, and in both ways, you're learning. Yeah. And so I think just having this diverse understanding that we're always learning, there are different types of learning. Um, and those different types are going to be helpful at different times of our life, mm-hmm. then I don't have to be ashamed if I'm still learning. Exactly. You know, like if I hit 40 or 50 or 60 and I'm still learning, actually that's one of my favorite things about being around people older than me is when they admit that they're still learning. Mm. I'm like, oh, cool. So I don't have to get this all done by next year. No, but it'd be helpful if you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, by those older people, I'm being informally taught that I can still learn. By Chris, I was just informally taught that I need to shape up. <laughs> so we hope that's been uh, just, it's really just a primer, a, a brief overview. I on believe it's pronounced primer, Josh. A primer. Okay, so I'm being taught even at the end of this <laughs> podcast. We hope that's been a good primer on what it is to learn and to grow and what discipleship uh, is and how we can't avoid discipleship. Yep. Uh, You've been discipled for the past 45 minutes by us. As Chris would say. (laughs) And so on our next episode, we're going to get a more fine-tuned and think maybe in a modern lens of technology, how uh, even just the implements that we have. Yes, if you're Amish, the next episode is probably not going to be too applicable to you. If you're Amish, you are not listening right now. You're selling them short, Josh. You're selling them short. Plug it in on the horse and buggy. (laughs) Thanks for... uh, Chunking out some time of your day to think with us. We'll see you next time on A Time to Think.